the night. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. So, Will, what's going on tonight, buddy? Oh, same old shit, Matt. You know me, I love to date our recording as quickly as possible, and I think this week I want to complain about comicsology. Uh, okay. When this when this drops seven years in the future, maybe we will have moved beyond comicsology. Uh, but I know for right now, I am stunned to the extent that the app is crap. The shopping experience has gotten definitively worse, and I am just frustrated to the extent that Amazon apparently does not give a fuck about any of this. Like. Why did you buy Comixology in the first place? If this was the end goal to just not give a shit, like what? Why? Why did you do this? Why? And so uh, I, I, I'm just stunned. I am absolutely stunned at uh, at how terrible this experience has been for everyone involved. This is another reason why I am grateful for the fact that it's very hard to screw up the. Uh, UI on a printed comic. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it was ways. Nice. There have been ways that it has been done, but it is very difficult. It was nice just to go to the Comixology storefront and, you know, click click the buy now button. Like, it's a, it was a simple process. Oh, here are the new books this week. These are the books that I like. These are the books that I want. Doing it now on Amazon takes like seven more clicks, and I don't like it. I don't have enough time in my life for additional clicks. That's that is a very poor user interface. It is. It's, it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a web designer by any. That that is not my particular IT skill. But as I've you know worked with web designers when our you know websites were being upgraded and redesigned. The first thing you say is you want to use as few clicks as possible. That's, you know, web design 101 when it comes to a purchase path. And for whatever reason, you can, and, and th- I only did this, say, when there was like a, a sale, like a buy one, get one free sale or whatever. But now you can't even put your comics into a cart. It's, it's, it's one at a time. Ugh. One at a time, click to buy. And let's see, what was the, what were the other irritating changes? No more click to buy from sort of the collected new releases screen was irritating. They don't display like all new releases in, in one spot. You have to go to um, a page and then you have to like, give me more new releases, more new releases. Like you just click this button over and over again to get it to load more books. Whereas, you know, Comicsology had just like, you know, oh, here are the four pages of, of the new releases. Anyway, I'll stop with this litany of, uh, of complaints, but it's it's terrible. It r- truly is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, long story short, Comicsology, get your head out of your ass. I think that's about it. So this week, we, we, we do have things that are much better to, you know, or happier to talk about. And that is... This week, we don't have a guest. We don't have anything topical to discuss. So we just wanted to talk about three stories by a writer we like. So we're going for three stories by one of the architects of the platonic ideal of Batman, Batman the Animated Series, Paul Dini. Our first story is 
Going Straight and Laughter After Midnight from Batman Adventures, Volume 1, Annual Number 1. The writer is Deanie. Pencils by Bruce Tim, Mike Parabek, Dan DiCarlo, Klaus Jansen, and John Byrne. Inks by Bruce Tim, Matt Wagner, Dan DiCarlo, Klaus Jansen, and Rick Burchett. Colors by Rick Taylor and Bruce Tim. Letters by Richard Starkings and Comicraft. Edited by Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. Cover date is November of 1994. In a series of vignettes, Batman looks back on the times that some of his rogues nearly got out of the criminal life. And in the backup, the Joker has a rough night out on the town. Only we we talked about John Byrne last week. A week later, still a tool. So there's our problematic (laughs) creator watch right there. Still sucks. Yep. The opening here is the first appearance of Roxy Rocket a character who was introduced in the tie-in comics to Batman the Animated Series before migrating over into the new Batman adventures in her first animated appearance. So it's sort of a reverse Harley, kind (laughs) of? Roxy didn't quite catch on as much as Harley did, but she's still a fun character. Stunt woman on a flying rocket thing. It's a cool visual. She's got a very cool, you know, old-timey's aviatrix visual and and literally it's just her and a rocket like there's no seat it's just she might as well be fucking slim pickens on a bomb like it's it's impressive yeah she's a very wild character like literally she's every third sentence is some kind of double entendre and tim at one point said of the episode of batman uh, the new Batman Adventures that had her. It's probably the most risque episode they ever did. And while Batman the Animated Series didn't all often tread that kind of territory, I mean, it did do a beat for beat mad love with the whole bit of Harley in the little red nighty. So if this is more risque than that, that's saying something. Indeed. Now we have three vignettes of other Batman rogues. Because the, the story opens with Roxy, you know, you've, well, it opens with Batman's confrontation with Roxy, then talks about her being paroled. And from there, we see three flashbacks, vignettes of three other rogues who sort of almost went straight, each by a different artist. The first one is Puppet Show, which is, in case you couldn't tell by the title, a ventriloquist story with art by Mike Parabek and Matt Wagner on inks. Parabek was the regular penciler on the Batman Adventures comic and died tragically young. He did a a good amount of work. Uh, Outside of that, he did a Justice Society series. He did The Fly for Impact Comics, which was when Archie licensed out their superhero universe to DC in a, what I always found was a really enjoyable all ages superhero universe through DC for about a year and a half. But Powerback has a very animated style and I mean, the, it looks really clean. It doesn't feel like Wagner really did a ton to Wagner it up. I think he just played to Powerback's strengths, which, you know, Hey, I would never complain about anything getting Wagnered up. I love Matt Wagner. I've made that very clear on many occasions on this show. We have much more Matt Wagner in our future. 
It's interesting that you mentioned the Archie connection because I got much stronger Archie vibes from the second story. Oh, yeah. No, we will get there. I mean, the artist on the second story is one of the great Archie artists of all time. Oh, well, okay. I'm not yeah. I'm not a dum-dum then. Yeah, no, no. This was actually published. The Impact books were published by DC, but they were the Archie heroes, the MLJ Red Circle heroes that Archie wasn't doing anything with. So they licensed them. DC picked up the license and published uh, a, a few series that each ran somewhere between about 12 and 20 issues uh, before the imprint folded. And it had early work by Mark Wade and Joe Casada and various other artists and writers. Rick Burchett did some work for there on the Black Hood. I really like a bunch of those series. Uh, the Legend of the Shield was great. The Black Hood was interesting. The Crusaders, the team book. But I'm rambling because I could actually talk about those MLJ heroes because I kind of think they're a lot of fun in each of the different weird incarnations. That wasn't the only time DC published some of those characters. And it looks like Archie might be trying to resurrect them again. And I'm looking forward to that. As long as the Rob isn't involved. The only thing I have to add to that, it's it seems like with the Turtles license just before this era, it seems like with a couple of different choices here and there, Archie could have been like a major ongoing concern still. And, and that's not to say that they are not, they're not not that, but they don't feel like a huge player like right now. I think they're very happy with what they've got going on right now. And they're, they're playing the long game, but back to the ventriloquist. Anyway, this is basically a weird puppet noir because you've got Wesker who has recently been released from Arkham working on a puppet show on a a children's puppet show. And as the show looks like it's going to be canceled, the host Mitzi Martin, AKA magic Mitzi, decides to corrupt the ventriloquist so he can take out the executive who was going to cancel the show. And it's, it's a little tragic story that ventriloquist really wanted out. And that's something that we see in, at least definitely very strongly in the first and the third story. This isn't villains who were putting on a show. These are guys who really wanted out. And circumstances make that untenable. But in Wesker's case... There was an active someone attempting to corrupt him. This is actually similar to a plot of a new Batman Adventures called Double Talk, where the ventriloquist gets out. and But here it's his own uh, gang who try to get him to take up Scarface again. But it's it, it seems like every time every time he gets out, they pull him back in. It must have been nice working on both the show and the comics because you know you could try out some plots you could adapt some books like you know it probably cut down on the work just a little bit just a little bit one thing they do here is they pick up scarface's verbal tick from the comics that i don't remember them doing on the cartoon where the ventriloquist can't say the letter b as scarface he only they all come out as g's which is apparently a common ventriloquism problem that the letter B is one of the harder ones to, to make come out. But it was interesting that Crokey, the frog puppet that Wesker was using for the, the puppet show, he could say the Bs. 
So it seems like in this, it was more of a, a psychological tick that, that Scarface couldn't say the letter B properly. Maybe it had more to do with the voice that Wesker was doing than his talents as a ventriloquist. Vervin. I find it no more difficult than saying anything else with my mouth completely shut. But maybe if I got good at saying everything else, that would be a a tricky sound to say. I I don't know. Yeah, I I tried to imagine like what that would sound like and why why specifically the B's became G's. But, you know, just just go with it. It was a very sad story, like a tragedy in every sense of the word. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that it's Wesker's own pathology that winds up stopping Scarface because his personality splintered to the point that Crokey had his own personality. And it was Crokey who betrays Scarface to Batman. So, yeah, it's it's tragic in that Wesker does want to go straight. He fails in that regard because he's drawn back into this life of crime. And at the end, he makes the choice. And as much as he can choose, and he chooses Scarface over over Crokey. And so it's it's a bummer of a story, but it's, it's well told. And uh, it was a really good read. And certainly out of the, the shorts in this issue, I think it was the strongest. Yeah. And that, that last bit, because you see him, he looks at Crokey scarred and a little singed after a car accident. And then he hears, Dommy, Dommy. And he goes over and he picks up, you know, coming Mr. Scarface. And it's, it, it really, it says something for Deanie's talent as a writer that you feel for this nebbish of a man, this poor broken man. The next short, 24 hours, is the shortest. This is a six pager, a four pager, excuse me, it's a four pager from artist Dan DiCarlo, who is one of the seminal Archie artists. And it's reminiscent of another episode, uh, Harley's Holiday. It's literally Harley gets out of Arkham. Joker lures Harley back into a life of crime. Joker pushes Harley into Batman to guarantee his own escape. Harley winds up back in Arkham. It's silent except for one final boy, which is a great one liner. And you could hear it that, that Arlene Sir- Sorkin oi, which was wonderful. But it's, it's a perfectly fine story. It's, it's cute, especially the length and everything of it works because of the archiness of it. It feels like a short in an archie comic of the 80s and 90s. Yeah, and uh, it's perfectly fine. The art is, it, it's fun to see the Batman, the animated series characters interpreted in a slightly different style. So, yes. This is the Joker of the ser- uh, the Joker of the series, the Harley of the series, but just with a slight twist. So that that's neat. And the oi at the end, a good reminder that Harley's Jewish. The third of the vignettes is Study Hall. This one is art by Klaus Janssen, who did Gothic. I mean, he's trying his best at the Batman the Animated Series style, and it's not coming off badly, but it's still very much Klaus Janssen. It's very much a Klaus Jansen looking comic. Yeah, the previous story was a little bit softer in terms of kind of vibes from the animated series style. This is definitely a bit harder. This is a scarecrow story and frankly is the one that feels the least likely as it's I, scarecrow never struck me as somebody who wanted to get out of the the supervillain business. 
this is a guy who who bought in lock, stock, and every kind of barrel to being the master of fear. And let me say this as an academic. I could not fake my way into any other field. I, I know what I teach. Communications, journalism, that's it. I could not fake my way into, say, engineering. But I, I guess if I, if I wanted to make a, a move into another soft science, uh, social science, I mean, maybe I could fake being a political science professor, but the, the move from psychology to English seems a bit off here. Credit to Scarecrow for not becoming a psych professor, because I guarantee you, I mean, granted, Batman was apparently watching him all, all along anyway, but it would have made it even easier to find him again if he was a psych professor. And I mean, Scarecrow's penchant for books is something that has always been in the character. The, the name he uses, by the way, uh, Irving Diedrich, that's uh, Washington Irving, creator of Ichabod Crane and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And Diedrich is the character name from one of his books. So it's a, just a complete Washington Irving riff. Ah. Uh, you do feel a little tinge of sympathy for Scarecrow because he gets back in the game, so to speak, for the right reason. But a date rape plot in a kid's comic is who did not expect that in my Batman adventures. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a bit of a curveball, And, and I got to tell you, I have, I thought differently of Paul Dini before I read another book that we're going to get to tonight. So I, I think reading that gives me kind of a pause here, but the guy had it coming. He oh, had it coming. He, he only had himself to blame. He did. And yeah, it's interesting to think about that this was written around the time of the incidents of the other book. So Dini's introspection might have affected him more in the intervening years, but there is something telling about some of this. Mm. Yeah. This has the targeted fear toxins, by the way, that we've talked about in a couple of other Scarecrow stories where Scarecrow is trying the different fear toxins on this meathead who assaulted his prize pupil. It's like, okay, rats didn't work. Nope, not spiders either. Leeches. That's what gets him. Leeches. Hey, man, leeches are gross. Oh, yeah. They're like ticks, but in water. Yeah. And the back end of the frame, framing sequence here is Roxy. It looks like she's gone back to a life of crime. Only it turns out that it is instead Catwoman framing her. And Batman knows immediately because he knows how Selina moves, which I like that. It's a, a fine little ending and Roxy gets to, you know, get in her licks on Catwoman. And then the back end is Laughter After Midnight, which is a short featuring the Joker making his way through Gotham after falling out of one of those ubiquitous Gotham police blimps and him just causing chaos as he goes. Can't Joker go one night without killing someone? No, because he's the Joker. Did you have to kill the donut guy? Okay, the donut guy I don't feel ba- I feel bad about. The guy who screams out the window of the Joker for laughing too loud, I'm sorry. You live in Gotham City. You hear a maniac laughing loudly in the street at night, you do not scream at him because there is a more than likely chance that that is the Joker. That hey, is your own fault. 
that guy's the first alert warning system. Oh shit. There's some weird stuff going down. Let me just be quiet and pray. I will say when he does kill Stan, the donut kid, the bill with the Joker's face on it. It's like, that's an 89 reference. I like that. I want my face on the $1 bill. Yeah. And uh, I love how Joker like hand waves at the, at the fear toxin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sweat and it activates the toxin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's also interesting that in the end, Joker steals a cop car and he doesn't kill the cop. He kills the others, but he lets the cop live, which is just Joker's complete manic unpredictability. You never know what Joker is going to do. And that what makes him scary. Yes. Got anything else on this one, Will? I got nothing left. So that means it's time to put the Batman Adventures Annual number one on the big board. So we are at 78 stories on our big list. Number one damn. is Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, number 404 to 407. Number 25 is New World Order from JLA 1 to 4. Number 50 is Batman Overdrive, the original graphic novel, all ages book. Number 75 is Chasing Clay, Batman Volume 1, number 550. And number 78 remains Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. Alexander, my man, is still a bad book. I, I, I hope over these next couple of weeks, I'm going to convince you. It's still bad. You don't want it. So I promise you, dude. Opening bid, or not even opening bid, but number 62 is Demons, the Batman Adventures annual number two, the oh. Rachel Ghoul Etrigan book. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a harsh opening. Um, yeah. This yeah, way, well above that. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this book in how all of these stories are connected so naturally and easily. And there aren't any real soft spots, right? You know, the, in, the, in the, the, the traditional like Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, that middle story is always pretty like, meh. But this carries strength throughout, right? The Harley is a bit shorter, but, you know, overall, you got a lot of quality here. And I'm going to argue this is the book of the night. So that again factors into the analysis for me. I mean, I think the Harley one is the reason it's so short is it was working with DiCarlo's style. Dini knew he had this Archie artist. So he went with something that was short and poppy and very Archie. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that. However, looking at other Paul Dini, this isn't better than Sleigh Ride at number 17. No. Um, what do you think about Brave and the Bold at 31? I think this is better than Brave and the Bold. Yep, I would agree with that. Brave and the Bold uh, is really- fun, but there isn't anywhere near as much meat. There isn't anything that is as affecting as that ventriloquist story. Absolutely. Lil Gotham at 26. Now I think we're getting into the right area. Yeah, I, th- I think feels, we're feels we're good. Right around there. I think we're probably still moving up a little. What about, how about in relation to Bloodstorm at 24? I, I've, I think I'm soft on Bloodstorm, if only because it's, you know, it's, it's the impossible to ask you, know, how could it have been better than Red Rain? You know, Bloodstorm, perfectly fine, but even now, sort of forgettable. I would say this is better than Bloodstorm. Yeah. All right, so I don't think it's better than uh, 22, Only Takes a Night. 
that Batman Catwoman go out on a date issue. And my man Slam Bradley. Yes. So then, so that's the, so now it's going to be in between Only Takes a Night and Bloodstorm. Right now, the only thing there is Cry for Blood, the Batman Huntress miniseries. So this is either going to be 23 or 24. I really like Cry for Blood. Cry for Blood has a lot to it. Rucka clearly did a lot of research on the mob. It's got a real through line to it. It does get soft in the middle if you're not familiar with the question stuff that he's riffing on. But even though it's soft in the middle, it's still enjoyable in the middle. Yeah, it does take that little little bit of a slowdown, but it's not bad by any stretch. I, I think I would probably go for Cry for Blood. Oh, it's hard. This is hard. My initial instinct was Cry for Blood first, but oh, I'm not sure. No, you know what? I think this is, I, I think this goes above Cry for Blood. I think this gets in, gets out, and does a really good job. So I that think- That makes it the new number 23? Yeah. Next up is Trust. This is from Detective Comics, volume one, numbers 833 to 834, written by Paul Dini, pencils by Don Kramer, inks by Wayne Foucher, colors by John Kalish. Letters by Travis Lanham. The editor was not listed on the DC wiki, so I meant to look it up and forgot. Sorry that about that. That would be Peter Tomasi. Thank you. Edited by Peter Tomasi. And a cover date, cover dates of August, September of 2007. After the death of the assistant to magician Ivar Lausius, Batman teamed with Zatanna. But the two must overcome the fallout of the past as an old rogue rears his head. Uh, this is the same creative team as we saw on Sleigh Ride, the aforementioned Sleigh Ride, as Kramer did a bunch of these Dini written detectives. Aside from the regular creative team, by the way, this acknowledges Misty Lee in the first issue as a magic consultant. Misty Lee. Oh, and who is Misty Lee, Matt? Misty Lee is Paul Dini's wife who is a stage magician who looks strikingly like Zatanna. And again, I was much more comfortable with that idea before I read our last book for the tonight. But, you know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So this, this is another mystery. This is Dini Credit does mystery. He actually does detective stories in detective comics, which is sometimes missing from that book. So I, I will always give him credit for writing a mystery in a detective comics. Are you at all familiar with the sort of Damocles hanging over Bruce and Zatanna's relationship in this? Ah, shit. I think we talked about it. And before you, you resolve that, I want to say the, uh, the idea of uh, the horror stage magician takes me back to, uh, to a guy we just lost uh, today or the news was announced today, The Amazing Jonathan. Uh, oh, I hadn't heard oh, no. that. Oh, fuck. Did I just break that to you? Oh, dude. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, Ivar Locius, and I, I am running with that as the pronunciation, L-O-X-I-A-S. I'm running with Locius. Had appeared once before in another Dini issue back in 824. And he's back here. And he is this goth stage magician who's doing increasingly dangerous tricks until this assistant who was once Z's assistant dies in one of the tricks. And this is what sets Bruce and Zatanna 
after him and there's a big old twist and we were gonna we're gonna spoil the twist because this is a comic that is 15 years old so i feel no compunction about you know spoiling the twist it's joker yeah this is serves as a sequel to Slay Ride, or this is what happens after Joker gets hit by that truck in Slay Ride. This is the next chronologically Joker story. And there's a lot of that that makes sense. Joker is a showman in his own weird, twisted, psychotic way. And he's intentionally calling out Zatanna just because, because he's the Joker and he's a bastard and is like, you know, figured... You know, get to kill her. Maybe get to kill bats, too. She's somebody you like. So, you know, why not kill her? We get the the answer to that mystery at the end of the first of these two issues. In a pair of pages that I don't, or at least the first page, I don't feel was staged particularly right. Because if you look at the penultimate page, this was enough of a staging issue that I actually noted it. Batman has realized that it's the Joker. Joker starts unmasking and you see him pull off the the locious mask and then throw it at Batman. And then you do the page turn and now you're looking this splash page of Joker. If you're going to do the splash page on the last page, it should have been shot from behind as he's unmasking and throws the mask. So the Joker reveal is on that last page. If you've already done the reveal on the page before, it feels like the splash page is kind of wasted. Well, I'll say this. Our magician is a weird looking motherfucker. So to me, I was like, that kind of looks like Joker. And then I think on the next page, like, oh, there's the green hair, the face. Oh, that's definitely 100% Joker. So I, I definitely get your point. But I think in like the initial layout, what they were going for on the penultimate page and props to you for using that word in exactly the right moment. I I think they were, let's not fully confirm that this is the Joker. Let's hint at it, maybe strongly hint at it. And then on the splash, Oh yeah, it's the Joker. He's got, you know, a human mask in his hand. Fair. I mean, since I was reading this for the not first time for me, I knew the twist was coming. So I guess I was reading that page knowing that it's much more obvious. But yeah, I I think the coloring here could have been different. It's somehow this intermediate step between the magician and Joker. And I mean, I guess that makes sense in in where you're going in the story, but it's an odd beat. I'll say that. I mean, it's it's a well-executed mystery in this first issue where Batman is investigating what happened to Katie, the assistant. And he brings in Zatanna as a consultant, but as a stage magician consultant, not for her magical abilities, because Bruce is still hung up. And this is what I was getting at before on the events of identity crisis. And the fact that Zatanna made Bruce forget that the Justice League, members of the Justice League had been screwing with the minds of supervillains. And it removed his memories and Batman's mind to him is inviolate. And so he was still at a point where he didn't trust Zatanna. And that's the, and, the, the title and the theme of this is trust. And he does come to regret that. Yes. Yes, Gross. he does. And that's very clear in the second part. He, he actually berates himself internally for screwing up 
you know, Zatanna's ability to save herself from Joker, who shoots her in the throat. That's like, woof. Well, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty good way of stopping Zatanna. Oh, it's the most logical way of stopping Zatanna. You got to go, literally go for the jugular. Because otherwise, if Zatanna can speak, she can do pretty much anything. And Joker is many, many things. But one of the things he's not is someone who doesn't know how to take out an opponent. Now, let me ask you this. Like, you say that she could do pretty much anything. How did you take, like, the hand-waving in the second half of the story you know, where Batman asks, oh, why didn't you just like get yourself out of the uh, the magic trap? And she said something like, uh, I would have been too exhausted to do another spell. And Joker was right there. And then that's it. Yeah. I mean, that was a hand wave. That was they needed to do the dramatic Batman breaks the water torture trap and saves her and you got to see that she had written the heal me spell in her own blood which was that was neat that was a cool use of magic and things and in all fairness the dc universe has always made it pretty clear that magic has a cost so you can argue that she might have been a little too exhausted frankly no one has written more zatanna than dini in a lot of years I mean, he wrote the the short-lived Zatanna ongoing. He wrote a Zatanna Black Canary graphic novel. Dini has a thing for Zatanna. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, that, again, this is, you know, creator's, you know, fetish on the page kind of deal. Oh, oh yeah. Believe me, there, there was bondage in this book, and I definitely noticed. Dini, Dini absolutely. And we, we said it when we were reviewing, uh, talking about Sleigh Ride. Deanie gets the Joker. Deanie absolutely gets the Joker. And the little bits that knowing about it on the second read, the misdirection that he does when he's locious, you know, something like a little subtle dig at Jim Gordon about, you know, not understanding what it would be like to have gone through a crippling accident, you know, a clear shot about Barbara the absolute sadism in the way he killed Katie, the the showmanship and the fact that the Joker in the end has to reveal himself because the Joker can't let Ivar Locius get all of the credit. It has to be the Joker who gets the credit in the end. That is absolutely Joker. Nobody's paying attention to me. Which that is a version of the Joker that I really like. I really like a Joker who is a narcissist. And that is what Deanie's Joker, no matter where he's writing Joker, is. The modern Dark Knight Morrison Joker, the the urban terrorist Joker, that isn't as front and center. That's all about the message. The message that it's all pointless and chaos. Deanie's Joker is all about the message of Hey, look at me. I'm Miss Reeseeks. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've talked about this before. Like, that's that's a much more interesting Joker. Like, every time he's popped up in a mainline Bat book, I don't know, for the last three or four years, it hasn't been anything interesting. Like, I can't remember the last ongoing uh, Joker book, aside from Joker, which is not a Joker book. Like war, jokes and riddles, and Joker war, and like none of that was any good. 
in I think Tinian's Joker in the Joker is hearkening back to this Joker. That's a Joker who's just out to have a good time and you know, and to get some revenge on somebody who fucked with him, which is a very petty Joker thing. It's not about a love letter to Batman or showing the world that the world is nothing but chaos. It's about the Joker out there doing Joker shit. What did you think about the Joker narrative boxes? I think in issue two. I am never a fan of getting into the Joker's head. Exactly. You know, the one time I've ever seen it work, Clown at Midnight. Exactly. That, That stream of consciousness madness in Clown at Midnight was spot on. But this sort of works with Deanie's take on Joker here. And the fact that you get that weird and kind of fun bit where you go into the, the Joker shower and you steam it up and he's been writing his plans all over it. But even then, that stream of consciousness, that's him not even be able, being able to control all of the madness that's percolating inside him. This was way more lucid. And the fact that you've often that letterers do less, but this also looked so regimented and so similar to Batman's thought narration I would have liked something a little wilder for it to be Joker's narration, even a different color. Well, I'll say this. Going with Batman Art Deco lettering, save that for the front cover. The Art Deco lettering is not all that easy to read, but I know that Detective Comics had a thing with Art Deco for a long time. And believe me, I too have a thing for Art Deco, but a little goes a long way. We also see the return of a reference to St. Genesius, which we have seen now in three different Joker stories. Definitely sounds right. In Joker's five-way revenge. And I, I'm pretty sure we, that we saw it somewhere else because we referenced that, like, oh, this, oh, no, it was in uh, Clown at Midnight, the, the Genesius boys, the, the, the clown crew there. Yes. So, yeah, this is our third St. Genesius reference in a Joker story, which, hey, I, I'm okay with Joker playing to a motif. Boy, when the Joker wants to kill a crowd of people, he really goes out of his way to make it work. Joker Venom Cloud, electrified door so they can't escape, and then he just wades in with a scythe in his Grim Reaper outfit, killing people. Joker leaves nothing to chance. Yeah, that reminded me of the Batman Judge Dredd rock concert. Like, man, why are you going to go to an underground magic horror show in Gotham. Man, you're, you're asking for trouble. And these people clearly were. I mean, they were on this guy's fan site and he'd been making it clear that he had grown fascinated with Gotham villains, the real Ivar Locius before the Joker killed him and took his place. After he nursed Joker back to health. <laughs> like, oh. uh, d- did a reverse misery on him. Yes. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, you cock a duty liar <laughs> <laughs> reading this is like any Wilk shit right here here's some misery trivia for you uh you know about the deleted scene in that movie no so they shot annie running over the sheriff with a lawnmower which is from the book that's right out of yeah. the book yeah but it tested too funny so they took it out <laughs> you know i actually do remember chuckling at that when i was reading the book 
you, you want to know something? Did you know that there is a stage play version of Misery? Fascinating. It, it made it to Broadway with, I believe, Laurie Metcalf and Bruce Willis. But I okay. saw, uh, yeah, oh yeah. But I saw like an early touring production with regional actors, and it had one of those things. And boy, howdy, welcome to Tangent Town, everybody. But I'm ah. going to say this: it had a thing that absolutely bugged the shit out of me in that it was a sloppy bit of the use of sound because misery takes place in the dead of winter the whole point is that the roads are icy the roads are impassable but there's a moment after paul sheldon has been in annie's care not for too terribly long and they're, they're doing a transition from night to day and the sun comes up and you hear tweeting birds in the dead of winter there aren't birds in those climbs in the dead of winter. It immediately threw me out. It was immediately like, wait, no, you're trying too hard. The, the change in the light and the fact that, you know, used a, a gobo to have what looked like, you know, the light coming in a window, you know, with the, the cross hatching, the crossbars through the window made it very clear that it was becoming day. You didn't need the sound effect. You put a hat on a hat. Exactly. Back to Batman. Final note about the, the very end, Deanie also writes a more human Batman, and he does have Batman acknowledge that sometimes he needs to be reminded that he's human, and that he and Zatanna finally make peace with the events of identity crisis in this story, so it stops being a thing, which is nice, that every now and then Bruce can actually move beyond something that is tragic. Yeah, and that was a solid note to go out on. After Zatanna turns all of the surviving people in the church that the magistrate was taking place into vampire bats and they bite the shit out of the Joker before she turns them back. Hey, stop it. What are you guys doing? Stop biting me. Stop, quit it. It's, it's great. And, you know, it's a little uh, ironic EC comics punishment for Joker there, which I'm all for, for Joker. I think that wraps it for me on this one. That's all for me. So that means it's time to put Paul Dini's trust on the big board. Okay. So in agreement, this is not as good as going straight. So we are below 23. And it's better than our final book. Yes. This is solid middle of the list. A little above the middle of the list, I think. So I just brought this up. Similar themes. Batman, Judge Dredd, Judgment on Gotham at 42. What do you think? Okay, I think it's... I was like, Because I, I mean, right above that is super heavy. And I think if someday we, we get around to you know making a few alterations to the list, I think Batman, Judge Dredd needs to go above super heavy. I think that is one that I look at and I'm immediately like, okay, what were we thinking? I know we were probably thinking about issue 44, but Still, that one issue doesn't make this better than Batman Judge Dredd. You know, I think for episode 101, we pick like three stories and we want to re-rank and we'll do super heavy parentheses minus all the good parts. And it's <laughs> going to be lower. It's going to be lower. Yes. Yes. I think we might find a way to, yeah, find a way to make Batman 44 a, its own thing. Because I can't put this below super heavy there's really good batman character stuff here there's 
a fun Joker being manic and weird thing. And I like a Batman Zatanna team up. I don't think it goes much higher than super heavy. Okay, speaking of Batman team ups, where is it against last week's uh, the, the mightiest team in the world, the first Batman Superman team up or the, the origin of the Batman Superman team from Superman volume one, number 76? That that was a charming story, uh, but this one has more substance to it. At 37, we have Detective Comics, uh, Ryan uh, Hill's run on the outside. I, I think that's getting really close to where we need to be. Yeah, I think this was quicker and smoother than on the outside. I think part of that is that I, I really have a feeling I'd love to ask Brian Hill about this. I feel like that story got jerked around by editorial a bunch. Yeah. And that's, he had to do a hard lift for that. Like a fill in run on detective comics that leads to, uh, you know, Batman and the outsiders in what, four issues, five issues, five issues. I think this this beats that just because this had Deanie's fingerprints on it and he wasn't getting screwed around by editorial. But I don't think it quite beats the post-crisis origin of Jason Todd, which is right above that. Because that, right. that is charming. It tells its story. It establishes important bits of the Batman mythos. So I think this is our new number uh, 36. Wait, if it's going under... Oh, right. Uh, uh, 37. Yeah. Excuse me. That's right. Yep. That was just me, me not reading properly. It's okay. It's been a long day. It has. Our final story of the night is Dark Knight, a true Batman story. This is an original graphic novel written by Paul Dini with pencils, inks, and colors by Eduardo Rousseau. Letters by Todd Klein, edited by Shelley Bond and Rowena Yao with a cover date of June of 2016. In this true story, Paul Dini recovers from a brutal mugging and processes his trauma. The story is told with visions of Batman characters representing parts of said trauma and Dini's memories. On the outset here, I want to give a content warning because this is something we've got to talk about in this book, self-harm. So yeah, you, if anybody needs to skip the next I don't know, 20 minutes or so, by all means, uh, you, go you for it. beat me to that. I was going to do a content warning on both self-harm and deep psychological issues involving self-loathing and things like that. Cause that's, yeah, that's in here too. This is a rough book. Oh yeah. And I mean, in some ways it's supposed, I mean, in many ways it's supposed to be a rough book. Deanie is not necessarily kind to himself in here. He doesn't gloss over the fact that he had a lot of issues, a lot of issues involving women. Yes. And to that point specifically, I read it and thought he should have been more critical. There was there was some analysis here, but I don't think it very much it didn't get quite to the level that it needed to. But I, I will say, going back to the, the the content warning, I mean, to put in some of the stuff he did in here was incredibly brave. And I'll since I brought it up, I'll go ahead and describe the scene. He took home an Emmy for what? Tiny Toon Adventures, right? Yep. And he had hoped to take a date to the Emmys, but then his date found out that the award show wasn't going to be televised 
and this gets into a bunch of the other themes that like he is constantly using women for their looks and they are constantly using him for uh, his Hollywood connections. But anyway, he takes home this Emmy and cuts himself with it over several pages. And I, that was the rest of the book. I, I don't think got to that level of just being just so irrepressibly dark. And, and I, I admire that. Like I, I tell my students, uh, you know, if you're going to be personal, if you're going to go into difficult issues, don't don't hold back. You you have to address these things and you have to take them full on. And my God, he did that with that scene. Yeah, we already gave a content warning, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to follow your advice there, Will. So you're going to have to all bear with me a little here. I have never gone to that dark and extreme, but I have worked through a lot of years of some serious anxiety issues and some serious issues about self-worth and reading some of it was tough it brought up a whole lot of shit that i don't like thinking about and it's it's worth it but i mean he glosses over isn't the right word for it because he is pretty upfront about it but he to deal with those kind of issues takes a lot more time than a 126 page graphic novel 129 page graphic novel excuse me is going to give you and i mean it it's yeah on top of the, the 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 central moment of this book is dini being i mean mugged is sort of the right word for it but if it's if it happened in the way he describes it it's the mugging was sort of secondary to a couple of guys who just wanted to beat the shit out of somebody and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time they took his wallet because they just beaten him two-thirds of the way to death so you might as well take his money too yeah and um beat him so badly it required surgery you know, he goes into great detail about his injuries and the, the aftermath and the recovery. It is a brutal scene. And Rizzo is the right artist for something like that. He is a guy who draws brutal. We've seen Rizzo before in uh, Grim Night on this pod. And we will uh, see him again when we get to a couple of other stories with his regular collaborator, writer Brian Azzarello. And he, of course, drew Azzarello's Vertigo series, 100 Bullets. It's probably what Rousseau is best known for. Talking about the mugging specifically, I did not care for some of the uh, renderings of the attackers. I know there's a lot of anger in this book. There is a lot of sense that he was a victim and he was unfairly, wrongly attacked. Absolutely. But race is front and center like i they don't pull any punches in that his attackers were black and i do not care for some of the ways in which they were drawn and i'm not saying it's right i i do agree rizzo's that is rizzo's style all of rizzo's characters are hyper exaggerated and it's even worse in azarello books because azarello he makes Chris Claremont's use of accents look restrained. Oof. Yeah. Azarello has never met a bad stereotyped accent he won't lean into. 
be it Latino or a quote unquote inner city black dialect or even Italian mob type accents. He, he is an equal opportunity offender on that. All of Rizzo's stuff is grotesquely exaggerated. His penguin is a grotesque, but there, there aren't penguin people out there to offend. <laughs> uh, won't someone think of the penguin people? I found it fascinating his use of the superhero characters and animated characters serving as the voice of his anxiety and fear and things like that. I'm not sure it worked every time, but it was a good motif to run through the book. I kind of wish it had been more directly one-to-one. It seemed to be in places. The penguin was the voice of his drinking. Mm. And the scarecrow was fear. But it was less clear that you know, Two-Face, and I, you know, on reading it, as I've read this before and reading it again, okay, Two-Face is his issues with his looks and the way this might have affected the, the beating and the scars, the, the small scars might have affected his looks, but that's not very clear. Batman being the, you know, voice that's trying to get him to get up and get over his issues aren't as clear. And Joker is just the bad voice. I think this could have used a stronger editorial hand. I think there could have been fewer, or, in, or maybe you say more consistent, uh, you know, bat inclusion, interruptions, uh, clarifications. But I can't help but think that I see this in like long form writing a lot, where we mistake length for quality. And I think Dini set out here to do something really personal and really honest. And I wonder if we might mistake his openness for a work that is good. I mean, there are some strong moments here and I don't mean to minimize anything that happened to him in this book, but it takes a long time to get to the point. You know, it's, it's 40 pages before we have his attack. And then there are so many pages about like the immediate aftermath of like going home and drinking and, and then going back to work and not going back to work. Like this is a really slow book. And by the, by the end of it, I'm just like, okay, let's, let's get on with this. Like, let's, let's get to the point. By the way, anyone out there who might hear this, who might've been involved in this kind of thing, Dini himself at one point says, you know, there should be a graphic novel history of, the making of Batman the Animated Series. Yes, there should be, and someone should do it. And while I enjoyed the bits of that that we got here, it often felt like it was slowing down the emotional arc of the book. Yeah, and and that was only like, it only served to make one point. Oh, he was overworked. Oh, they were trying to get Batman masks out at the same time that they were trying to do the series. Like, yeah, I, I know that sucked. I get that. You bring it up once, we're good. There's one bit towards the end after Batman had once again been berating him about needing to, you know, step up where Dini goes and goes to buy a gun. And I have to say that that is a smart narrative bit 
as that is the ultimate rejection of what Batman stands for, and also makes complete sense that someone in his situation would do that. Did Batman? Did the Batman character react to that? Oh, he makes a couple of comments in the shooting range about that. He he even see him take the gun and shoot the gun, and Genie makes like you know DC would never let me have you do that in a comic. So B- Batman is absolutely judging him in that sequence. Before I forget, I, I think I have been fairly hard on this, but visually, outside of my complaints about the uh, the attackers, this is a gorgeous thing to look at. And I, I love how it mixes so many different styles, the sketchbook, the, the, the different like pencils and colors. Like visually, this is a treat. Oh, Rizzo being able to color himself. And I mean, some of these pages aren't inked. Some of these, I think, are just color over pencils. But being able to do all the art himself is really a tour de force in a lot of this. Absolutely. And I'd be very curious to have seen Deanie's scripts to see how much Deanie gave Rizzo in which versions of the comic book characters that appeared he should be using because none of them are really the Batman the Animated Series versions except for maybe Harley and even then Harley was wearing that costume in the comics until the New 52 so that was timely. The Scarecrow for instance here is very much the Arkham Scarecrow with the the finger needles which is also a Deanie thing because Deanie wrote Arkham Asylum and Arkham City but I would be very curious if Deanie gave him reference on which versions of those characters he wanted to show up here. I will also say possibly my favorite visual bit in this is Deanie's Batman Sandman crossover, which is a little bit towards the end of Deanie giving a pitch to have had Dream and Death of the Endless show up in an episode of Batman the Animated Series. The only thing I would have loved more about that is if they had found a way to really lean into the Batman the Animated Series of that sequence and make it look really Batman the Animated Series so we could have seen Dream and Death in that style. But I thought Rizzo did a really cool take on Dream and Death. And I like what Dini was saying about Batman in those pages. I didn't go for that pitch sequence, I think, as much as as you did, because I think it I think it was just a little bit too long. And at that point, I had just kind of given up on the book. But I'm also a visually it is a good look. I'm also a sucker for anything Sandman that that's, you know, (laughs) you're putting Batman and Sandman together. I'm on easy mark for that. I think we might have a bonus episode in the future. Because there's another similar book to this that's a Superman book called It's a Bird by uh, Steve, Steven Siegel and Teddy Christiansen. And it's about Siegel being given you know, the opportunity to write Superman, which is a character he wasn't terribly comfortable writing while processing his father's I believe it was his father. It's been a long time since I read this. Uh, 
his aunt, I'm sorry, his aunt's uh, slow descent into Huntington's disease. Oof. Yeah. That sounds hard. It is. And I'd be curious, again, I read that once when it first came out back in 04. And I'd be curious to read that and see how we feel like it lines up against this book. But that's a, a bonus episode for a month where we've been doing light and fun things in the main pod because I don't want to have to do that episode after we've been doing an episode like this because there's only so much bleakness that I can do in one short span of time. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just, I'll finish with sort of my main kind of criticism here in that, you know, I said earlier, like, I don't think Deanie is as critical as it sh- as he should be when it comes to his relationships with women. I, I know for, for a gag, a lot of us on the, on the staff bought uh, CB Sapolsky's book, uh, Wanderlust, I think what it was. And I have not cracked it open, but it seems very horrible. And Deanie is a bit more honest than this, but he is critical in it, it. He eventually gets to the point of, oh, I was using the women just like they were using me. But there is so much of, oh, why won't she date me? I feel like. I feel so abused. I, I feel so hurt and angry before that moment of discovery. Like it's just, I don't know. So much of it read just like incel stuff. And I'm just, ugh, ugh. not gonna, not, not gonna argue that point. There was some, some stuff there that was not comfortable at all. So I think that's about it on this one. Uh, that means it's time to put Dark Knight on the big board. Okay, so I think this one goes down to the big swings that don't quite hit region. Clown at Midnight Country. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's 47. This isn't as good as Clown at Midnight. Clown at Midnight is more successful in what it's trying to do. Say it's got more substance than speeding bullets at 65. Yeah. So we're somewhere in the 50s, probably. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a, a bid. For another book that has problematic elements, Shaman at 58. I could go... I could go a, a bit... Above that, I mean, I'm not sure that it would beat Faces. No, I think, yeah, I think dropping it right in there in between Faces and Son of the Demon at the new 56 is probably the place for this to go. Works for me. That looks like it's that for tonight. Next week, we take our first Jason Todd tier Patreon request from former guest of the show, Dan Grote. Just in in time for the release of Beyond the White Knight, we'll be discussing Batman White Knight and two other times the Joker broke sane. Fucking kill me, man. (laughs) Fucking kill me. I got to read that fucking book again. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know, uh, man. I know. Uh, it was going to happen. It was going to happen. Uh, I think I'd rather stick needles in my dingus than read that thing again. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. Lord, Lord, help me. Uh, but we'd uh. like to thank our Patreon backers, including Dan Grote, even though he is choosing violence. <laughs> the worst kind of violence. Yep. Uh, also, June is dead. Long live June. Joshua Wheel. Zach Rabaroff. Abigail Hartbaum, Asimov Fangirl, and Tony Thornley for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on ComicsXF.com, where shows drop on Thursday mornings, and support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shout-outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, Comic Cinema and Cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013, and I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm out of here. Good night, Miami. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.